Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I am well. How are you? It's it's a new season, and we're going to do something a little different than how we've done uh, Sunday school in the past. So we're actually going to study through two books in 12 weeks. So we're going to go through First Peter, and we're going to go through Second Peter. And I know First Peter has been a popular topic for uh, small group Bible studies in our church in the last year. Um, but one of the things that I've learned in, in 15 years of dedicated study is every time I open the book I learn something different so even if you've studied it before there's something here for you too Uh, so let me pray for us and then we can get started today father we are humbled that you would choose to speak to us the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe, bothers with the ants that we are on this planet to share with us your heart and your thoughts about you, about us, about how we can live in difficult times and how we can live joyfully in difficult times. Father, I pray that your word would open up our hearts and our minds to truly understand what it means to be a Christian in difficult times. Father, we hear almost on a repeated play that Christians are supposed to be joyful, and it's hard for some of us. Show us how you desire for us to be in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, First Peter. Um, I'm not going to call anybody out. Um, one of the things about choosing First Peter and this, this particular study book in particular um, was how clearly it works through each section of Scripture. And it touches um, specific sets of verses and talks on specific sets of verses. And the, the question that I was given... Initially, and my wife has brought this up to me, and we talked about this yesterday, and, and a couple of other folks. Um, previous Sunday school lessons that I've taught, um, I, I tried to use the questions in the material, but I didn't feel like it was doing justice to the passage we were studying. So I tried to use it as best I could, but one thing I heard a lot of is, uh, what's the point of the book if you're not going to use it? And it's a good point, right? Why are we spending the money? Why do we spend the time working through it if it's not something we're going to use? And I told Pam yesterday, uh, we were talking through some of this, I am so excited that this book is perfect for what we're trying to do. The questions are pointed. They point us to what Scripture is saying and how do we apply that. And uh, I'm just super excited about uh, this material and being able to work through it. So First Peter and Second Peter written by... Peter, yeah, it's written by the Apostle Peter. Who was Peter? If you had said John, uh, we're going to have to have a talk after. <laughs> Who was Peter? The Apostle Peter. The Apostle? What else do you know about him? He's a close friend to Jesus. Close friend to Jesus. How close? Very close. 
he was the inner circle, the inner three, right? There were 12 that he poured his life into. There were three that were closest to him. Peter was the first one. If you look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter is the first name on the list every single time. So yeah, he was close to Jesus. What else do we know about Peter? He's married. He had a lot of zeal. Uh, he liked to stick his foot in his mouth, right? And he calls he in a in a in a indirect way he actually calls himself out in these first twelve verses by praising the people that he's talking to. He actually calls himself out in the process. Okay, so this is the person who's talking to us. This is the person who is sharing us with what what God has told him to tell us. Okay. So I'm going to read uh, the first 12 verses, which is what this, this, uh, this today's lesson's about. And then we're going to work our way through. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, Reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look so first question from the book okay uh, as children, we eagerly anticipate holidays or special events. Peter opens his letter with a reminder of what we can look forward to, a glorious future in heaven. Do you eagerly anticipate heaven? Why or why not? Do you eagerly anticipate heaven? Okay, now this is, this is, this is my experience, so I'm, I'm kind of projecting my experience on some of you. Um, those of you that are my age or older, do you find yourself more eager for heaven today than you did 20 years ago? Oh, yeah. 
the happenings of life, the, the effects of sin on our lives. Do you, for me, it's, man, Lord, can I ever get past this? I know in heaven I'm going to be past it. I want to get there. I'm tired of this. Is that, is that your experience? Do you t- grow tired of your sin? And the world, right? Uh, the three things that, that cause the harm to the believer, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? We get tired of all of that. How can looking toward heaven be a comfort in tough times? Say that again. Fulfilled promises, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. Remembering this is not yeah. our home. Remembering this is not our home. He says that in verse 1, right? My, my version says aliens, and I don't want to jump there yet because that's one of the questions. But yes, he calls us aliens. This is not our home. What are you talking about? If you followed through the study, he actually touches on that, right? He, he goes to Second Corinthians chapter 4, James chapter 1, Romans chapter 5, where he talks about that. And that's important for us, especially as believers who are dealing with this. So, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen... What is this? And he used news. He uses in the study. He uses New King James, which I'm not a fan. Um, but he said he uses the New King James, and he's using the vocabulary from the New King James. Says, what's the significance about being called pilgrims? In the passage, it says to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. What, what's, what's the significance of being called pilgrims? Or, in, in my Bible, it's, it's aliens. Um, in your Bible, it could be exiles. Uh, I know the ESV calls it elect exiles. King James calls it strangers. Okay? It, it goes right back to what Scott said, right? Um, it's, a, it's for a short time. This is not our home. This is what, what Weston says. Not our home. Okay? So he's speaking to, and, and it's to those who are chosen. The, the ESV calls it the elect aliens. It's to those who are chosen. So he's not speaking to everybody in those places. He's talking just to the believers in those places. So what does this have to do with us? Because we're not in Pontus or Bithynia or Asia or any of those places. So he's not talking directly to us. But can this be applied to us? What there's an exile, then there will also be a gathering together. There's an exodus, they're kicked out. There will also be a gathering together. Okay. So with the going out, there's a point where they come together. So 
The, the going out is being exiled, is being aliens, is being strangers, and in the future is that coming together, right? Okay, so that's important. What's it mean to be chosen? I'm sorry. Exactly. And, and that actually connects also to one of the later points in this, in this passage. So that's important to keep that in mind. What does it mean to be chosen? Called out? Called out one? Mm-hmm. Say it again. Set apart. Somebody else is calling you. What's that? Fortunate. Fortunate. And I'm not going to spend much time here because at the end of this session, he goes to Ephesians chapter 1, and he spends a good deal of time talking about what it means to be chosen. So we're not going to spend a lot more time there. Uh, Verse 2, he says, According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled by his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Just one note here. He didn't talk about this, but it's important to point out. Just another spot where the Trinity is mentioned. God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son in one verse. So that's important. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, if you were in the previous two Sunday school sessions, God's mercy and God's grace should be very evident to you. Because the entire Gentle and Lowly series was all about God's grace and mercy. Every time you read a passage of Scripture, when it mentions God's grace and God's mercy, it should light your fire. He has caused us, and it goes back to it not being ours, right? That He chose us caused us to be born again to a living hope. What's hope? What's the world say hope is? Okay. I hope I win a million dollars. What's that? It's not guaranteed. Not guaranteed. Um, a dying hope is the world's hope. So what's the living hope? Faith. If you have a living hope, what does that mean? Okay. Confidence in? Yeah, not us, right? Confidence in someone else. And in this case, it's confidence in the resurrection of Christ. That's where our living hope comes from. That would make, that's what makes our hope as a believer different from the hope of the world. And that takes us to verse 4. To obtain an inheritance. Inheritance is the key to these 12 verses. It's what it's all about. <clears throat> which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. How does Paul describe the inheritance that awaits believers in Jesus Christ? Imperishable. Imperishable. What does that mean? What? 
Won't go away. Can't break it. Don't have an expiration. Don't have an expiration. It's secure. It's secure. Now, if you think it's what? It's kept. If you think Old Testament, was there an inheritance in the Old Testament? The land, right? Israel was promised an inheritance of the, the physical land in the land of Palestine. So is that imperishable? It had some spiritual aspects to it, but it was a physical promise. Our promise is not physical. Our promise is spiritual. Therefore, and because it's kept in heaven, who can take it away? Can you do anything to remove it? Can somebody else remove it? If you go back to the book of Matthew, he says, store up your treasure in heaven where rust and moth cannot destroy and where the thief cannot break in and steal. You were chosen. You didn't do it yourself. You are kept. You don't do it yourself. Do you see the inheritance? Verse 7. Actually, I want to back up to verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. In what do you greatly rejoice? That we can't mess it up. We can't mess up our inheritance. In this you greatly rejoice. That you can't mess up your own inheritance. Even though now, for a little while if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. What insights into trials, this is question three, what insights into trials does Peter give his readers in this passage? What insights into trials? What do you mean? Okay, he's already said it's a little while, they're not forever. What kind of trials? What's that mean? Could be a lot of things, right? Could be car accident. Could be cancer. Could be brother, sister, mother, child, aunt, uncle dying. Could be loss of a job. Could be fill in the blank. Persecution. Persecution. There are various trials, and they come and they go, right? That's what he's saying. So what purpose do they serve? Verse 7. What? Okay. Makes your faith stronger. Verse 7 says that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable. Remember, we're talking about what's in imperishable right the inheritance reserved in heaven imperishable gold is perishable and your faith is more valuable than the gold even though tested by fire if you've been in a trial recently it feels you feel the heat yeah 
may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, what's the goal of the trial? What's the ultimate goal of the trial? End of verse 7. Increase your faith. Okay, faith is, is one of the goals, but it's the path on the way to what? Giving glory to God. That's what it says at the end of verse 7. Found in the result to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So your trials are meant to prove your faith and that proof should bring glory to God. That's what he's saying. I need somebody to read a passage for me. Volunteers? Sure. Voluntold? Um, would you read 2 Corinthians four sixteen to 18? So, what purpose is the trial? From that, from that passage, what's the purpose of the trial? Okay. Does it deny the fact that there are physical effects of the trials in our lives? No. Your outer man is decaying day by day. Those of you that are my age or older, you know that every day, right? But the inner man is renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction, <laughs> light affliction, car accident that almost kills you and you're in the hospital for six days and out of work for ten months. Light affliction, cancer comes into your life. Light Affliction, your family member dies. Light affliction for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. It doesn't feel like it in the moment. But when you stand eight years later looking back at it, you can see that. Is it the same as when they say like, your life is like a vapor? Exactly. Yeah. It's what you compare it to is what makes it a, a life affliction. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, James 1, 2. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 8. 
Pam and I got into this discussion yesterday. <laughs> Anyone wish to read that one? I'll do it. Consider it all joy, my brethren. <laughs> no, I know why people don't want to. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear it. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But if any of you lacks, well, I'm going to stop there for a second. So what are the results of trials? Endurance. Say that again. Strengthen our faith. Strengthen our faith. Yeah, make us strong. Okay. Say it again. Perfect. Okay, perfect. Complete. Complete. Okay. Um, the the Greek word for perfect means to make you mature. Okay, your maturity level as a believer grows as you endure those trials. But let, not, let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. One more passage, Romans 5. And And not only this, but we exult in our tribulations. Knowing, about, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God is poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given him to us. What is the point of trials? The testing of our faith. Burn away the, uh, the junk. Burn away the chaff, yeah. <laughs> Burn away the junk. First um, Peter says that the proof of your faith results in praise and glory. Are you to have joy in the cracked skull, the ten broken ribs, the three spots broken in your leg, the cancer, the person dying? Are you supposed to have joy in that? Please hear me clearly because this is mistaught a lot of times. You are not to have joy in those things. You're to have joy in the proof of your faith, which shows God faithful. That's where the joy comes from. Not in the situation. That's why you jump back to... Um, was it 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18? The outer man is decaying, but the inner man is renewed day by day. It's important for you to understand that it's not the situation that you find yourself in that brings your joy. Your joy comes from knowing that your faith is being, being purified, is being smelted down so that it is pure and your joy in what the situation is, is the fact that God is making you more like his son. That should bring you joy. So it, it's not easy. 
but does it change your perspective? Do you stop seeing your trials as something that's beating you into the ground and start seeing your trial as something that is beating the, the, the dross out of you so that you can be more like Christ? No, we don't. We don't. It sure is. I mean, that's the easy way to look at it. Why do you think we have to come back to this again and again and again and be reminded of it today and tomorrow? Those of you that have studied First Peter twice already in the last two years, there's a reason that you're being reminded of this again. Verse 8 and 9. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Peter's already said that they're encountering various trials. Do you know what time, uh, what time in, in history this, this was for these people? It was the Nero, persecution of Nero. Yeah, yeah. Nero, Nero had burned Rome. He needed a scapegoat. Christians were an easy scapegoat. So he blamed it on the Christians. Now everybody throughout the entire empire is looking to kill the Christians. But look at their response. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, the idea is right now in the midst of your trials, you know he's there, but you don't see him. But you believe in him. And you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Peter mentions the fact that his readers have never seen Christ, nor do they see him in their current trials. What is his implied point? Think about, tri- uh, think about Peter and his trials. <clears throat> He was with Jesus. He said, Jesus said to, was it Thomas at one point? Uh, you see me and you believe. Blessed are those who see me or don't see me and believe. What did Peter do? One of two people who outright in your face denied Christ. And he was, he could see Jesus. He was there with Jesus. He's calling himself out. He's pointing to the faith of these people to say that you don't see him and you love him and you're going through this stuff and you still believe in him. running out of time here. Verses 10 through 12. Pam and I had a good conversation about this one yesterday, so I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, 
seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So the question was, what surprising insights are revealed about the Old Testament prophets and the angels? I'm going to give you a minute because if you want to look back through those three verses, because we dug on these yesterday. <clears throat> but it's, it's an interesting point that's made. Okay. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit, all that stuff. Who, who, who's, who, who, who is Peter talking about? The first part of verse ten. The prophets. Who is he talking about? Let's be specific. Uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Okay. Isaiah. Moses. Anything, anybody that talked anything about what was to come. Now, what do you find interesting about uh, the end of verse 10 and 11? Who prophesied of the grace that was to come. So they knew that there was grace coming. They knew that grace was coming. But made a careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them, within them, was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Did they have the whole story? Did they ever have the whole story? Did they ever stop looking for the whole story? Careful inquiries and searches. They had an understanding of God's grace. They knew God's grace was coming. They didn't know who it was coming through. They didn't know when it was going to happen, but they knew it was going to happen. They had enough information revealed to them by the Spirit to write the books that they wrote that people during Jesus' time had paid attention and were acknowledged by the Spirit. Because who did Jesus quote the whole time that he was on the earth? The prophets. Now, this is interesting. In ver- the end of verse, uh, sorry, at the beginning of verse 12, it says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. So they did understand that what they were talking about, the, the prophecies that they gave, were not for themselves. But then it says, uh, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from, seven, sent from heaven. Who's he talking about now? Because it's not the prophets anymore. Yes, uh, it would be, uh, let's see, Peter and Jude and James, the brother of Christ, and Matthew and Luke and Paul, right? The prophecies that came after founded on the prophecies that came before. Although the really interesting piece right at the end, things into which angels long to look. 
Why? They have, no, they have no basis for understanding grace. You're either a fallen angel and your fate sealed. Or you're an elect angel and you never fell in the first place. And they're not made in the image of God. And the word long means to lean into. They want to see what this is about. They see the outworking of God's grace and God's mercy through time. They're outside of time, but they see God's grace and mercy through time. And they want to know what this is about. No, we would feel that way, right? So I, I'm out of time. So I'm not going to go into Ephesians, which is where the going deeper goes. But I want to encourage you, if you haven't gone into the going deeper, read that passage in Ephesians and then answer those three or four questions because Pam and I had this conversation about that yesterday. Um, one of the questions specifically, uh, it, it says... Question seven, both Peter and Paul explicitly state that God chooses people for salvation. What does it mean? What should our response be? And Pam kind of looks at me funny, and she goes, it means God chooses us. Right? And she's like, it seems like a kind of duh question. But I need, maybe you're feeling the same way. Maybe that was kind of a duh question. God chooses us? Duh. But remember this. Okay, most of you, many of you, have been sitting under our elders' teaching for for anywhere from one year to fourteen years, right? And they are faithful in teaching about the election of God. They are faithful in teaching about God's sovereignty, but those around us in our community have not had that. So for us, what comes across as well, duh, yeah, God chooses us. They think. Some outside of our, our congregation believe that I did the choosing. I chose Christ. It was me. I made the decision. I got baptized. I walked the aisle. I signed the card. And he goes through. If you haven't read through recently the first chapter of Ephesians, go through there and underline every time it says, He did this to us. He did this to us. Because the first thing you have to do with somebody like that is say, go back and read for Ephesians chapter 1 and underline every time it talks about what God did to you. And then come back and tell me that you did it. It's, it for us who have been immersed in the sovereignty of God and the election of God, that does seem like a duh question. But there are many, many, many people in our, in our community that don't see God's sovereignty and God's election um, in their salvation. So we have to be, be mindful of that.